Family, uh, God is moving. He's working. And uh, what I'm feeling right now is an emotion. It is, it is something that, that, that I can't control. And an emotion has nothing to do with your mind. You can't just be like, I'm going to turn off emotions. Whenever we go to Cedar Point, whenever we try to go to roller coasters, I'm like, man, I love roller coasters, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. And then when we get to that top of the hill and start looking over, the emotions kick in. It takes over. That fear can, can grab me even if I've been on this roller coaster a bunch of times. Emotion is, a, is a, something you feel, it's a feeling, and it's not just cerebral, it's not just mental, it is something that wells up inside. I know because a couple times I got in trouble with my emotions. I was at home, everybody sleep, got everybody down, I got my big sandwich, I'm chilling at night, the big game is on, and my team is down by one. And then they hit the winning shot, and I go crazy and wake up the whole house because emotion can, can sometimes get the best of you, even against your <laughs> rational thinking. Today, fam, we are going to talk about an emotion. We're going to talk about a feeling. It's not, it's not something that, that, that can be conjured up but it's also not something we have the strength to just make happen when we want to. We need help. Today we're going to talk about joy. We're talk about joy. And joy is this interesting concept that we find again and again in the book of Philippians. We've been going through this book, and today is our last sermon to close up the book. It's been amazing to remind us of how God moves, how God acts, how God works through his church, and how joy can be experienced even in the midst of trying times. So pray with me as we dive in. Lord, have your way. Let your word be preached. Allow us to understand you more. Calm us that we might be able to hear from you clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can go to the book of Philippians, and you can start in the first chapter. And we're going to cover a bunch of verses, so just get ready to, to kind of flip on through uh, as we are going to be diving in. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of my amazing servants from the back will bring you one if you would like one. We're going to start with this, this definition that that Pastor John Piper uses. I, I, I like this definition because it, it seems to capture everything about biblical joy. John Piper says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Let me have you hear that again. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. 
It's a good feeling in the soul. The soul is, is not just your physical body. The soul is in your, your essence. You feel good and you know when you got a good feeling. There's something great. There's something that like resonates when you when something just feels good and and you got a bit of joy. Your smile is a little bit brighter, your teeth a little bit wider, your voice a little bit louder when you laugh. Joy is something that feels good. But rarely have you had a joyful feeling and it was horrible. Like, like, like that just, that does, it doesn't connect. Joy is connected to a good emotion, a, a good feeling, a, a good experience. And so we recognize that Paul is trying to help us understand something, that, that joy should bring you some good feelings. But also I like what, 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 what Pastor Piper says as well when he quotes St. Augustine. He quotes him and he says, the St. Augustine said, command what you will and grant what you command. Command what you will and grant what you command. That's simply saying that, that God has an expectation. He wants something to happen, but he's going to have to make it happen. God's going to have to be the trigger for the goodness. I can't just drum up good feelings whenever I want to on sight. It's going to take a move of the Holy Spirit to to trigger something that brings forth a good feeling, that brings forth a, a good emotion. Now, if you pause and just think every good emotion is joy, then you, you, you'll, you'll be messed up. Because remember, the rest, of that, the rest of that definition was a good feeling, Produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of God in his word and and in the world. So I'm going to give you about five or six different ways that we see joy take place in this book and in our lives. The first, it's kind of counter to what we understand. Counter to the way we operate. It's counter, but but it is so the way the Bible uses things to to flip our understanding so we understand that we are with a different kingdom. The first is joy through death. Joy through death. This brother is in jail. He goes to jail. He gets locked up for preaching the gospel. And then he says, I'm not going to let being in jail shame me. Actually, Being in jail is going to contribute towards a greater cause of me advancing the gospel. You and I don't understand that really. Maybe we do. But most of us, if you went to jail, you would not come out bragging. You wouldn't want anybody to know. You might be ashamed. He says, no, there's a greater purpose. So there's no shame associated with it. It takes me back to the civil rights activists, folks who were standing up for a greater purpose. They had something long-term in play. They knew that to take this stand was going to open up opportunities for generations to come, and they went to jail. And when they came out of jail, there was no shame. 
Why? Because they were seeing a greater purpose. Paul sees this as a tool to advance the gospel. But then he says something that's kind of crazy to help us understand joy and death. He says in verse 21 of chapter 1, verse 21 of chapter 1, it's a little verse. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ to die is gain. His brother named, uh, named Ellsworth, Robert Ellsworth, says, Why should we then fear death? That is but a passage to Christ. It is but a grim sergeant that lets us into a glorious palace that strikes off our bolts, that takes off our rags, that we may be clothed with better robes, that ends all of our misery and is the beginning of all of our happiness. Why should we therefore be afraid of death? It is but a departure to a better condition. You see, we don't see death in the same way the world sees it. Death is but a tool to connect us in the full presence of our God. So one of the tools that has been used throughout history to control people, that tool of death to scare you, to fear you, to have you worried, has no shackles on the believer. Because what is death? An opportunity for me to connect with my God. What is death? An opportunity to me for, to fully experience. An opportunity for me to feel no pain. An opportunity for all peace to be experienced. What is death? But then he also says, but to live is Christ. Today I get to live and true life is living for Jesus. And so when you put those together, you get to learn a bit about, about joy through death, through, through some old stuff dying. Some of us know we got some, some behavior, some actions, some ways that we done lived that we had to put to death by choosing Christ. And as we saw those things die, we also saw ourselves get stronger, get healthier, look more like Jesus. There can be joy in death. I was... Uh, kicking it with my family, and uh, I, we, we like to play games as a family. And every now and then, we'll, we'll do something with some, with some water balloons and get a, get a water balloon fight going on. And, 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 and every time one of my kids grabs a water balloon and get ready to chuck it at me, I, I wince. You know what I'm saying? Even, even if I'm, like, fully wet, I still am, like, but usually dad slows down, and I let them use all their water balloons. So then they just fake flinching. There's nothing for me to be scared of. They have no ammo, and Satan is the same way. He tries to use death as something to scare you, but it has no punch. It has no power. It has no victory over the believer because our Lord has conquered death. And we get to fully experience being in his presence, a joy beyond what we can imagine. But you get a taste of it here. When we see parts of who we are that were prior to Christ dying and him giving us new life. And so joy can come through death. Joy also can come 
through suffering and humility. Look at verse 29 in chapter 1. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Suffer for his sake. Suffering is a, is a sign of doing something right. Now, don't get me wrong and don't get pastor in trouble. I said suffering is a sign of doing something right, but don't run out and try to go get beat up for Jesus. Don't run out and try to go put a target on your head so that you can say, I'm really living for Christ. But when we live counter to this world, when we live counter to this worldly kingdom, this worldly kingdom gets mad. This worldly kingdom gets frustrated. This worldly kingdom will lash out. And sometimes it can feel good knowing you've done the right thing, even though there can be pain associated with it. Sometimes it can feel good knowing you've done the right thing, even though there can be pain associated with it. That's what Paul is getting to when he talks about this suffering. He is in jail because he preached about Jesus Christ and all of the people are there and they're witnessing this injustice. They, there are jailers. Jailers get to learn the system, right? Jailers know who in here for murder, who in here for stealing. You know everybody in jail innocent, right? But the jailers begin to say, this Jesus, he's in here for this? There's this, there's this understanding that Jesus is an innocent man. There's a a suffering that you can experience even when, when doing the right thing. We had our, our three-on-three tournament yesterday, and uh, this didn't happen as much as I would have liked it to. But there was times where I was dribbling the ball, or Kamal was dribbling the ball, or Dewan was dribbling the ball, and you hit a move, and while you've got the ball, somebody smacks you in the face, another person elbows you in the side, another person trips you, but you still finish and make the basket. You felt the pain going through it, but there was a joy that you couldn't be stopped and you finished it anyway. You see, that's what Paul is experiencing. He, he realizes there's going to be some physical pain. He realizes there's going to be some suffering for the sake of the gospel, but he's going to finish this advancement of Jesus Christ to the end. And so we can have joy through death. We can have joy through suffering. Look with me in chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. We can have joy through humility. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Just keep that finger. We're going to keep pacing through. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. What mind? You're supposed to have the mind to not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility. 
we can find joy in being humble. Humble is when you put someone else's interests before your own. That's totally contradictory to the street code that I was taught. I was taught, get yours. I was taught, get rich or die trying. I was taught, they'll be all right, make yours happen. I was never taught in the street, look to the interests of others before yourself. Feel like a pushover. You feel like a, a sucker. You feel like somebody's just going to keep taking advantage of you. But see, when you walk in God's ways, when you live out God's truth, God is the one who supports, builds you up, and protects you. And so where you might think that other people will take advantage of you, God got you. Where you might think that everyone else is going to advance because you're not as selfish as them, God got you. Where you might think that you have to have the best lawyer in the court case, God got you. And so be humble. I like what this brother John Riskin said. He said, I believe the first test of a truly great man is his humility. I do not mean by humility doubt of his own power or hesitation in speaking his opinion, but really great men have a feeling that the greatness is not in them but works through them, that they could not do or be anything else than what has God has made them to be. And God has made us to consider the interests of other people. So simple question, how often do you put others before you? How often is your agenda the agenda that has to move things forward? How often is it modeled amongst your friends, amongst your family, amongst your spouse, that other people's interests matter to you? We got joy through Death, joy through suffering, joy through humility. Now, humility was modeled by Jesus himself, who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross, not, not grasping for equality. He wasn't trying to take hold of something to say, oh, well, I'm as good as the Father. No. He came thinking of your interests. He came thinking of your depravity. He came thinking of our jacked upness and said, in that, I'm going to come and love you. I'm going to come and serve you. I'm going to come and sacrifice my life. So we got joy through death, joy through suffering, joy through humility. Now joy through relationships. Look at chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Chapter 2. Verse 25 and 26. Joy through relationships. It says, I have thought it necessary to send you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. A few verses ahead, uh, we hear him talking about Timothy. You got these great men. You got Timothy. You got Epaphroditus. And these are brothers that are in the fellow struggle with Paul. They are down for the gospel, co-laborers about this Jesus thing together. And I tell you, 
there ain't, there ain't nothing like a person you can trust. Nothing like a good friend. There is joy that can flow through relationships. And Paul experienced some of that joy as Epaphroditus brought some money and put some money on his books while he was in jail. Joy. My, my wife came back uh, Friday night and she, she was just beaming, glowing. Sisters had this, this 80s. Now, now we, we didn't, we, we, we celebrated the announcement. We should have put the video up. But uh, sisters had this, this 80s party where they got all dressed up and kicked it. And, and what I thought was, man, you know, it's, it's great that these sisters get a chance to laugh together, hang together, talk together, just be in each other's presence, you know, just have a good time doing life together in the gospel. But they also do life together in the gospel. Like, like in, those, in that group, there are women who've prayed for each other, who've helped each other out in situations, who uh, uh, can call on each other when times are rough or just seek, seek a listening ear, a prayerful ear. There's true relationships there that, that, that brings one another joy. Talk about a good feeling. This feeling can come from the relationship that another believer has with you. I got a story for almost everyone in this room that has been a blessing unto my life and helped me experience aspects of God's joy. And so we can have joy through through suffering, joy through death, joy through humility. Joy through relationships. Next, we can have joy through role models. Look in chapter 3, verse 17. Paul is helping us to see that, 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 that there is a life that can be imitated. There's a, a, a Christ-centered life that we can build our lives after. In verse 17, chapter, chapter 3, verse 17, and then just put your finger, get it ready for uh, chapter 4, verse 4. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, Paul is not a man that seeks, like, attention. He's not like, yeah, y'all need to live like me. <laughs> Paul is trying to, to show that there's a hierarchy here. There is Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus. So as I follow Jesus, you can follow me. If you haven't had the model, if you don't know what it's like, if you are in this faith and you need an example, I will be it. And so Paul gives some, some, some ways that we can do this. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's what we were singing today. That's not just a song. That's flowing out of Scripture. That's why it moves us the way that it does. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here's some ways to imitate. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's a way that you can imitate 
Christ. Christ prayed. Christ did not worry in the way that we worry. And the peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. James Baldwin, a, 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 a famous leader uh, that I don't believe, but they have never failed to imitate them. On that person, they will fail you at some point because, because your peace, your satisfied, your ability to be satisfied was never intended to be built upon anything except Christ. And dare I say, if it is built upon something different than Christ, at some point it's going to be tested and show itself a cheap imitation. I, I, I had this happen to me. I had a, a really deep friendship, and there were aspects of the friendship that I knew God was telling me to, like, make some adjustments. Make some adjustments. Make some adjustments. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'll get to it. Uh, you know, God, it ain't really that much. It's not really that big of a deal. Do I really have to talk about this stuff, you know? And I'm just, let it slide, let it slide. And the Lord comes right into the situation and brings up scenarios in a way where it's clear that had I listened to Christ some time ago, I probably would have avoided a lot of hurt and pain on both parties. But see, I, I, my, I was getting, I was getting some, some cool stuff out of relationship as long as it stayed the way it was staying. As long as I didn't ruffle the feathers and, and, I was, and, and we was cool, he was cool, I was cool, we don't, okay, we cool. But God wanted more of me. And I don't know what situation might be present in your life where, where, where you may be depending on something more than on Christ, but it will be tested and show itself as a cheap imitation. But my friends, when we, when we put our, our foundation on Christ and we are able to be content, then when we are high, we are content. And when we are low, we are content. It is not dependent upon the item or the person or the thing which will come and go. Trust me, it will not last you forever. But when your rooting and your stability is on Christ, there is a joy that you get to experience that can be prompted by the Spirit in a way where you just know He is with me. And so lastly, family, look with me in chapter 4, verses 21 and 23. We get joy through Jesus. Verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This book ends how it started with us understanding the concept of grace, how important 
the, 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 the wrapping your mind around grace is because no joy is experienced, no mercy is experienced, no love is experienced, no stability is experienced outside of the grace that God extends us. And so it's almost like, all right, I'll see you later, love you. Like, like he's, he's giving them a, 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 I want grace to be stamped upon you so that you may prosper as you finish reading this letter. And isn't that what we want for everybody? We want you to prosper as you, as you finish taking in God's word. We want it not to just settle in your mind and be cerebral. That's why I love the definition John Piper gives where we understand more of God's word, but we also understand how he's working in the world. So grace is not just a mental thing. It's actually something that I stand back and I see how God has shown his love time and time and time again. Because when you recall how God has moved in the past, you'll get excited about how he's going to move in the future. You see, when you are able to take in all the ways that God has shown grace to you, you know that God will be with you. Because you was a nut when he showed you grace in the past, and you're still going to be a nut in the future. And it hasn't been dependent upon you and your good worthness, goodness, your smartness. It's been his grace. His grace, his grace. And so, family, we pray that you will experience joy. I don't know if all six of the different ways of joy you're going to experience all the time. Maybe your first sign up is joy through suffering. And I pray you finish it to the end. Or maybe the joy you're going to experience is through a, a relationship that is deep and that's key. And I I pray it blesses you. But maybe it's humility where you need to consider the interests of others. And as you do so and you give up, God fills you more and you experience joy through that. I don't know. What I do know is that God has been quite clear to his church of some ways his grace abounds and ways we get to experience joy. And family, I am grateful for you all walking through this book with us. Uh, these weeks. And fam, if you're at home or you just tuning in your first time, go back and listen to previous sermons. We had our brother uh, Jonathan, De- I'm not supposed to say full names on, online, Jonathan, and then uh, Matthew preached. We've had some, some amazing people encourage us in the Word. And so I'd encourage you uh, to go back and listen to those, to those sermons. Let us pray. Father, your grace does abound. And and there's this, this interesting tension of you command us to rejoice, but yet you have to do something in us so that we're triggered to experience that joy. It's like there are triggers that can start us towards fear or towards anxiety or towards worry. There are triggers that are Holy Spirit prompted, though, because those are not prompted by the Holy Spirit. What is prompted by the Holy Spirit can be a trigger for joy. And we say, Lord, use what you will. Use humility, suffering, relationships, death, whatever, Father, 
to allow us to experience the joy that you offer. Let us learn from from our brother Paul, who said these words while in prison, that if he could experience joy there, we can experience joy here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, uh, we are going to take communion. And uh, after our communion time, we're going to have our sister Vashon come up and, and share an announcement. Uh, but we take communion here uh, as, a, as an act of worship, something we do to celebrate Jesus. It's us acknowledging that God is in control, that he reigns and he's in charge. We, we do so because he commanded it. He asked us to do this in remembrance of him, of, of, of what he was going to accomplish on the cross. And so in your bucket, there's a little cup of juice with a cracker on top. There's a, 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 a simple story that has like eternal implications. It's simple in that Jesus loved you and I so much that in our mess, he stepped into this world and said, I'm going to free you from sin. Sin, that, 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 that thing that breaks the heart of God and separates us from God. Jesus died to draw us closer to the Father, to reconcile us, to make us close to God again. But he doesn't force that experience on you. Jesus doesn't make you believe that he died for your sins, and he doesn't force you to accept it. He extends an offer, an offer for you to believe that he has died so you can experience freedom in Christ and not live un- under sinful ways. But you have to accept the offer. You have to say, Lord, I believe that I have been a sinner and that I want to live for you because you died for my sins and will allow the Holy Spirit to fill me so I can live for you in the way you desire. See, a prayer like that from your mouth, but more importantly from your heart, can can lead you to walking with Christ even today. But pastor, I don't know the whole Bible. 83% 83% of Christians don't know the whole Bible. No, I just made up that stat. But see, it's, it's, it's not how much you know that puts you in right relationship. It's believing what Christ has done for you that puts you in right relationship. And if you believe even today, even this moment, you say, Jesus, I don't understand everything, but I believe you died so that I could live. And I want to live for you. Even if today you make that declaration in your heart, then you can take communion. Because we are acknowledging what Jesus has done on the cross for our sins and that we get to live in victory in light of that.